0: Jcastnetwork.org. Hi
1: everybody We are currently learning Maseche Uh We're on Daf Hay At the end of Daf Dalet Amud Bet the Gemara brings a Mishnah from Tractate Rosh Hashanah which is dealing with a change that was made uh, to the way in which the Beit Din would accept testimony regarding the new moon Uh, that testimony was important because that determined when the new month was and the new month of course determined when all of the holidays uh, in that particular month uh, would fall. This Mishnah is discussing uh, Rosh Hashanah and it says that originally uh, the way the system worked is that they would accept witnesses all day so all day witnesses could come if they'd seen the new moon uh, and give their testimony but there was a problem that was encountered Uh, which was that sometimes the witnesses would come very late in the day and if it was so late that it became time for uh, for the koanim to offer up the afternoon tamid uh, the afternoon uh, tamid offering uh, the levi'im were presented with a problem right And the problem was that the levi'im always sung a particular psalm uh, during the afternoon tamid and it was either the psalm for that day or if it was Yuntif, then they would sing a particular psalm for Yuntif. The question was, they, they certainly suspected uh, that it was going. The witnesses would come, and that it was going to be uh, Yuntif, uh, but they weren't sure. So they would inevitably choose to sing the song for the day. Uh, and sometimes the witnesses would then, after the fact, indeed come, show up, give their testimony, and it would have turned out that it was in fact uh, Yuntif, and it would create uh, would create sort of a problem for everybody. So they decided to make a change. Uh, and, uh, and the change that they made was that the witnesses could only come up until the time uh, that the tamin was offered. Uh, if they came after that, which sometimes they did, then the rest of the day from that point on was declared yom tov. And uh, then the subsequent day was obviously uh, full-fledged uh, yom tov based on the testimony of the witnesses. So this was, uh, this was fine for the people who lived in Yerushalayim because when the witnesses came late, then, uh, you know, word would spread throughout the city. But if you lived far away, you had no idea, uh, you had no way to know whether or not the witnesses had not come at all or whether they'd come late and whether the rest of that day was supposed to be Yontif or not. Um, so you uh, so there was this decree made where basically both of those two days uh, you would observe um, in the far-flung reaches of, uh, of the Jewish world, you would observe them as, uh, as Yom Tov. There you have this two-day, uh, rabbinically ordained two-day uh, Rosh Hashanah that's really considered this one period of Kedushah, this one period of, of holiness. The point here is that the two days of Rosh Hashanah uh, is not because of doubt about the correct day. Obviously, the correct day is the day uh, following the testimony of the witnesses. This two days uh, is because um, Jews simply couldn't get the information about the testimony, not because there was a doubt about the correct day. So what this means is that back to our uh, our egg situation, if an egg was laid on the first day, um, That egg would be uh, prohibited uh, by Rav and Shmuel, as we already saw, uh, because both days, at least rabbinically, are treated as Yom Tov, right? So that's, uh, that's, uh, that explains Rav and Shmuel's position. The egg is prohibited because uh, both days are equally Yom Tov, uh, and therefore uh, the egg, if it's laid on the first day, is prohibited on the second day because it's the same it's the same extended period of Yom Tov, the same extended period of Kedushah. That Mishnah then continues, uh, and it says that after the korban, after the uh, destruction of the Beit Hamikdash, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai began going back to the old system and, and accepting testimony about the new month for the entire day, uh, because since there was no more temple service, uh, there was no concern about the Leviim singing the wrong psalm, uh, and so he went back to that to that system. Uh, but those Jews who lived far away from Yerushalayim still uh, had to keep two days of Rosh Hashanah. Why? Well, not because of any rabbinic decree of uh, of this continuous holiness because of the issue with the witnesses, but because now there was actual doubt uh, as to which day was, uh, was Yom Tov. Was Yom Tov the first day or was it the second day? Uh, it wasn't entirely clear. So for Jews living uh, in the diaspora, nothing really changed practically. You observe these two days, but the reason you observe these two days switched uh, from being about this extended period of Kedusha, uh based on the witnesses uh, to being a concern about which day was, uh, was actually the, uh, the real day. So this changes our situation with the egg. And that's why, on the beginning of of uh, of davhe amud aleph, uh, Raba brings uh, the end of this Mishnah about Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakai going back to the old system to say, okay, now if it's not one one extended uh, yontif, uh, and there's these two days of yontif, but we know that one of them is the real day and one of them is not the real day. People in the diaspora don't know because they can't be communicated with that quickly, but but. Theoretically, we know that one of them is the correct day and one of them is not the correct day. An egg laid on the first day then becomes permitted on the second day because one of those days is not actually yuntif. So if, uh, if yuntif is the first day uh, on which the egg is laid, then there's no restriction on eating the egg on the second day because that second day is not yuntif and the restriction, uh, there's no restriction at all. If the second day is yuntif. Then there's no restriction on eating the egg, which was laid on the first day because it was laid on a day when it wasn't Yontif. So that's what uh, Rabba says. Now, it gets interesting here because uh, we then get the opinion of Rav Yosef. Uh, and Rav Yosef uh, disagrees with this. Rav Yosef says, no, Rabba's wrong. Uh, and in fact, the prohibition against eating an egg laid on the first day. Uh, eating that egg on the second day, uh, that prohibition remains in force. Okay, why? So he says, He says, the prohibition was uh, a law that was passed uh, basically by a vote, right? A bunch of sages got together uh, and they took a vote. Uh, and any law that's, uh, that is made uh, in this way, any decree that's made by the sages getting together uh, and voting requires another subsequent vote to undo it. Right now, this is a this is a really fascinating idea, uh, and as the Gemara goes on, uh, it uh, it tries to find uh, various proof texts for this uh, that uh, that seemingly Rav Yosef brings here. Uh, none of them are uh, are fairly convincing, uh, and it seems to me my sense is that. Uh, that this was a legal principle that was uh, that was embraced, and then they're trying to find some uh, some textual uh, support for it. They also bring an anecdote, uh, rabbinic anecdote involving Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, uh, to uh, to try to uh, to uh, find a, a, an origin for this uh, for this principle. But in any case, it's a, it's an interesting principle. Um, and just to articulate it more clearly, uh, because some of it is unspoken here, it's, uh, the issue is, yes, a law that was passed uh, by a vote, let's just say, needs another, uh, another group of sages to come and vote to undo it, but the issue here in particular is uh, cases where the reason for the original law or the original decree uh, no longer exists, right? That to me is the real fascinating part here. That it's not just about one, let's say, Beit Din undoing the ruling of another Beit din. It's about the necessity for a subsequent Beit Din to overrule a, a former Beit din in a case where the whole point of the law no longer exists, right? The whole point of this decree about the egg Uh, was because you had this one period of kedusha. Now you don't have that anymore. You don't have that anymore. The reason's totally gone. There's no... The the reason for the original decree is gone, and you might think that the law should uh, be gone as well. Uh, That's what Rabbi Yosef comes to argue against and say, no, that's not the case. Uh, Actually, somebody needs to come and undo this vote. Uh, I think about this uh, sort of maybe a modern... A modern parallel uh, that I was reminded of at a Shabbat dinner recently uh, was uh, was Mayim Achronim, right? Uh, Mayim Achronim uh, was decreed based on the rabbinic concern that a certain type of salt uh, that would get on your hands from eating the food and then it would get in your eyes and it would blind you. Uh, So as far back as, as the Tosfo, maybe even earlier... Uh, they say, no, this salt doesn't exist anymore, and so you don't have to do mayimachronim. You don't have to wash your hands uh, in this way at the end of the meal. The reason for the law is gone, therefore the law is gone. Uh, of course, people, uh, many people still do uh, wash mayimachronim. Uh, and so it raises this question of how Jewish law changes, right? That a lot of laws are instituted to deal with certain situations, and when the situation changes... Um, it's a question as to whether or not the law should automatically change, or whether it needs to be dealt with in in uh, in some formal way. And I suppose there are different uh, different ways to uh, think about this. Uh, Rambam in the Mishnah Torah and Hilchot Mamrim in the second parak there um, says uh, says the law as follows. Let's see how he says it here. He says. Um, He says, when a court issues a decree, institutes an edict or establishes a custom uh, and the practice spreads throughout the Jewish people and another court arises and and seeks to nullify the original order and eliminate the original edict, uh, the latter court does not have authority unless it surpasses the original court in wisdom and in its number of uh, members. If it surpasses the court in wisdom uh, but not in number of members or in numbers of members but not in wisdom, uh, it can't do anything. Cannot uh, overrule the former court. Uh, Here's the point. Even if the rationale for which the original court instituted the decree is nullified, the latter court does not have the authority to negate their statements unless they are greater. So that's what Rambam says. He goes on to say in Halakha 3, uh, he says, when does this this, uh, hold true? With regard to matters that were not forbidden, to create a safeguard for the words of Torah, right? In that case, a different principle uh, applies. Uh, the principle there being uh, that you look and see if the uh, if the prohibition has spread throughout the Jewish people, uh, and if it has, um, and then uh, then there's no chance. Then, no matter how great your court is or how wise, uh, according to Rambam, uh, you can't uproot it once it's spread throughout the Jewish people. So there's a lot of variables, but uh, but in general, it's just interesting to uh, to think about in uh, this issue that's raised by this sugya, so, yeah, the question of Jewish law that arises to deal with circum- certain circumstances, and what uh, what the result is when those circumstances change, whether the law needs to be formally uh, changed or annulled, or whether uh, it should automatically. Uh, disappear as a result of the reason for the law disappearing as well Baruch
0: I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page the music at the open and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epic Horus album One Bead available on Bandcamp iTunes and Spotify